When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello again, Simon Hill and John Cosmina in Doha for the global game at the World Cup. And we are 24 hours on from that famous day at the Al Janoub. How are we all feeling around Australia? What needs to be done between now and the Denmark match? We'll discuss it all along with our regular look at today's games and a look ahead to tomorrow's matches, which include the favourites, Brazil, going up against Switzerland. But before all that... Our regular daily hot topic, thanks to Guzman y Gomez, fast food that athletes say yes to. And today's topic is one that has puzzled us, I think it's safe to say, Cosy. Why is Australia playing all its matches at the same stadium? Now, I've checked through the schedules of the other teams. And only Australia and South Korea, who play three games at the Education City Stadium, are playing their entire schedule out of the one venue. Now, I guess this can work both ways. For Graham Arnold, perhaps it's a good thing. Uh, this is a venue, the Al Janoub, that the Socceroos now know very well, having played qualifiers there as well. But I guess for the fans, he can't help thinking that something's missing. You you want to see something a bit different, don't you, when you go to a World Cup? Yes, Simon. I mean, that's part of the allure of, of coming here, coming yeah. all this way to, to watch your, your country play, but also to, to have a look around the place. I mean, we're you know, less than half a kilometre from Lusail Stadium, which I'd love to be able to go into and have a good look at. You know, you can go to other games and things. They're, yeah, fine, but it would be great to see your home country play um, around the different stadiums that are available in the city. But um, I asked the question uh, of one of our officials, and uh, basically that was the way the draw came out. Right. So it wasn't... Um, there's no conspiracy there. That, uh, But like you said, it's... Um, probably comfortable for the Aussies to play the three games in the one venue, given that we have spent time there before. Um, rather than going to newer places and you have to do a recce to work out, you know, how to get in and out of the place and, and where to put everything and mm. to, all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it's just one of those strange anomalies. It is. And I, I don't think it's malicious. I never thought it was. But, uh, yeah, I mean, normally you go to three different venues or at the very least two. Uh, and most of the teams have, have got that... Uh, at this World Cup, but of course it's all in the same city, so everything's uh, within reach. South Korea have got uh, the same problem. Uh, the other thing that we remarked upon yesterday, Cosy, when we were at the stadium, that 
the Tunisians, and, and let's be fair, they had a lot more supporters there than Australia, which we expected to be the case. They've got 30,000 expats living in Doha. But they seem to have the entire block behind the goal. And yet the Australian supporters, us included, we're all sort of uh, disparate, weren't we? We're all sort of spread out, apart from one sort of small block behind the goal. Yeah, well, <clears throat> excuse me, there were um, a lot of yellow shirts scattered around the stadium in small groups. I mean, I've even spoken to a couple of people that were virtually, you know, one and two out against thousands. Own. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. So um, how that worked out, I don't know. You would think that uh, the, the ticketing would all be in the same area. Um, I mean, you've got to think of it. A lot of, a lot of people applied for stuff online mm. as well. So, you know, they would have bought maybe group or numbers of tickets. Um, you know, this is when the tickets became available, so that might account for the for the spreading out. But certainly, you know, the stuff that came through the FA, um, certainly for our group, the Green and Gold Army, you know, we even are a little bit scattered as well. We're not far from from where the friends and families are who actually sit behind the bench. Um, but I've got friends that were sitting behind the goals. I've got friends that were sitting the opposite side to to where we were. Um, it's a really interesting. Um, mix in terms of how the yellow shirts are sprinkled yeah. around the stadium. It's just a pity because obviously generating atmosphere when you're s- separated from each other is is tricky. Uh, the good news, if Australia do get through to the round of 16, they will play that game at the Ahmed bin Ali Stadium on Saturday the 3rd of December. So at least uh, we might get to see a different stadium uh, and Australia play that. The likely opponent at the moment to be Poland or Argentina. Which one of those would you prefer, Cozzy? <laughs> Let's speculate <laughs> th- that we're getting through. I think either are going yeah, to be tough. You don't care, as long as Look, we get there. Yeah, I mean, I, it actually would be nice to be Australia, for Australia to play Poland. I've got that, that little bit of mix in me. So yeah. um, You can have would, one of those half-and-half half scars. My, yeah, my father would be turning in his grave. He wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> That's your hot topic for Guzman y Gomez today, home of clean, healthy burritos, bowls that athletes say yes to. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the Socceroos. 24 hours on, Cosy, as we say, and the euphoria continues after Australia's 1-0 win over Tunisia. Great scenes from back home as well. People watching uh, late at night or in the early hours of the morning. I'm not quite sure which one it, it uh, was. We, we've been here a while now. Uh, a look at the stats from last night shows just how hard Australia had to work. Uh, just two shots on target. Tunisia had four. Uh, just one save for the Tunisian keeper to make. And Australia had just 41.9% possession as opposed to Tunisia's 58.1%. Now, Graham Arnold said afterwards, uh, the old Australian way got the team over the line. Is he right? It was, was it sheer grit? Um, in the second half, it was. Hmm. Because Tunisia really stepped up the pace. I thought we controlled the game for large portions of that first half. Um, that's why we went in with a lead. Um, I mean, there were moments where I think we maybe not so much lost concentration, but the Tunisians have some quality and they showed that on occasion and, and got in. But we, we defended well. We defended as a unit. The back four, Matt Leckie and, and Craig Goodwin tucking in on top of the fullback. So um, we did make it difficult for them, um, but we were composed um, when we had the ball, unlike we were against France, where I think we were panicked a bit just because of the... I guess the the reputation of the French more than anything. It um, it's almost like we had a little bit of stage fright. Hmm. Um, but I think overall, you know, possession for me, it's, it's the stats can tell a lie. Um, where we did exceptionally well was when it counted, and that was in the back third of the pitch. As much as the Tunisians had a couple more shots on target than us, they weren't anything that really tested Matty Ryan in our goal. 
Um, generally, they were, you know, scrambly sort of shots that he dealt with quite comfortably. So, you know, we defended well. We did our job. And if you want to call that the old Australian way and fighting spirit and the true grit, then yes, it was. Yeah, interesting that uh, the BBC is reporting that footage unseen on the TV broadcast is, is making news back in Tunisia. Apparently, referee uh, Daniel Siebert inadvertently tripped Elis Shakiri in the build-up to the Socceroos' goal. I can't say I noticed that, not that I was particularly looking for it at the time. Um, and I guess there's nothing in the rules for re- refs accidentally impeding players either. No, there isn't. But I, from what I can recall, Mitch Duke actually played a nice little... Um, ball out to, to the left-hand side. Craig Goodwin, um, it was a deft touch from Duke, um, and that's how it ended up getting into the box. I think, if anything, um, might be considered interference from the referee. It was behind the ball anyway, so I don't think you could say that it would have influenced the outcome in any way. I, I think the claim was that uh, Riley McGree then had an unimpeded path to go forward, but anyway, it's... It's hair splitting and it's done and dusted. Uh, just a quick word on Denmark before we move on. Uh, obviously, we watched some of their game last night against France. Uh, again, looking at the stats, they outpossessed, outpassed the French. Uh, their midfield is particularly strong. Pierre-Emile Hoiberg, who plays, of course, in, in the Premier League, providing the grit. Christian Eriksen from Manchester United, the flair. Is that the area of the field where Australia must win again, do you think, to get through? Well, I mean, it'd be nice to say we could. We, we need to win the midfield to get a result, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, that that will be the case. I think we've got to be able to compete well enough in the middle of the park. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, um, look, I, it, stats, once again, don't tell the whole picture. You know, Denmark did outdo France on the stats in terms of possession and everything, but um, the French are clinical. And that's what counts the most. You've got to look at the score at the end of the day. The stats don't always tell the whole story, do they? So, um, I mean, they didn't tell the picture in this Australian game yet, yet mm. either yesterday. So, no, I, look, I think we need to obviously be on our game. We're going to reset. Graham's going to get back into him. I mean, all the talk in the media has been that straight after the game, it was enjoy this moment now, um, but forget about it because we want to go on with it. And um, Tomorrow it's another day. We need to start again. What's the old saying? Uh, stats are like bikinis. They show you a lot, but not everything. <laughs> uh, don't forget to download Keep Up, home of everything A-Leagues, and watch the new docuseries, A-Leagues All Access. Today on Keep Up, uh, the celebrations, of course, are still going on from the Socceroos win over Tunisia. David Wiener gives us his view on what the Aussies need to do against Denmark to make the round of 16. And Tom Smithies on how the team defied the odds. Matt Camito covers the latest from back on home soil and speaks to the Adelaide United's captain, Isabel Hodgson, who will support the Pride Progress, uh, who will sport, not support, well, probably both, who will sport the Pride Progress captain's armband for the remainder of the season in a show of support for the LGBTQI community. That's all available on the Keep Up app or at keepup.com.au. You're listening to The Global Game at the World Cup, thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. Tejada to Fuller with a shot towards goal, and Costa Rica, against the run of play, have caused the upsets. Keisha Fuller, that man. The left edge of the box. Croatia almost in behind, the ball is in the back of the nets, will it be ruled off this time? 
No, it won't. Goal confirmed. Croatia. Andrei Kramaric this time. Perisic crosses to the back post. Kramaric thought about hitting it first time. Hits it second time instead. And Andrei Kramaric gets his brace. Croatia 3-1 up. Woody Albert's going to play a ball to the near post. Oh, what a finish. Morata. He has his critics. But they all should be bowing down to him now at the near post. He's lifted it with a dainty touch over the right shoulder of Manuel Neuer. Exquisite finish. Klosterman. Klosterman wins possession. Ball played into Zane. Angling back in. He plays it into Fulcrook. It's going to find Fulcrook who shoots into the top corner. Just his third international. But he's got his fingerprints all over this World Cup. Welcome back to the global game at the World Cup. Thanks to Kraken.com, your secure crypto partner. Get in the game at Kraken.com. Broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. Well, Cosy, let's look back on today's games then, uh, starting with the early kickoff at the Ahmed bin Ali Stadium in Group E. Costa Rica defeating Japan uh, by a goal to nil. What a chance for the Samurai Blue. They dominated the game, but... They blew it. A goal late on for Keisha Fuller in the 81st minute, which is their only shot on target so far this tournament. Incredible. Well, they struggled in their last game, Simon, as well, to, to really... Um, they didn't create a lot of opportunities. Yes, they beat Germany, but um, it wasn't... They were the ones that were dominated. Um, it's interesting, this, um, this these strange anomalies in this World Cup keep continuing. Costa Rica beaten 7-0 by Spain just a few days ago. Um, you know, South Korea go and beat... Germany and oh sorry Japan beat Germany but um, and then they they come back now and they concede a, a loss like this and it was a great opportunity for them as you said. What what was the issue today for Japan was it just creating clear cut opportunities because as I say the the game that I watched they dominated almost completely in terms of possession. Yeah, but it's once you get around the edge of the box yeah. you can have as much possession as you want but if you can't break the opposition down if you can't find those penetrating passes to get in behind in crucial areas where you can create goal-scoring opportunities. It all counts for now, doesn't it? Do they miss a, a different point of attack, uh, as in a, a, maybe a proper number nine, a tradition, more traditional number nine or not? It's not really the Japanese way, mm. um, unless they've got a natural big guy, which they've had over time in the past, but they don't have one at the moment. So they try and play this high-tempo possession game and... Um, get the little combination stuff around the edge of the box. But against organised defences that are resolute, um, if it doesn't work, you're in trouble because you get caught at the other end. Well, I'll tell you who else is in trouble, particularly back home where shop windows were smashed, uh, cars were torched, fans fought battles with police. Uh, all that in the Belgian capital of Brussels after uh, Belgium were shock losers 2-0 to Morocco at the Al Thumama Stadium. That was the 4 o'clock kickoff. In Group F, this World Cup really has been one that's produced so many shocks and Belgium were well below their best. Yeah, look, it, with Belgium, I mean, I said they could be a smoky. They've got enough quality in their team um, to maybe earn that that accolade. Um, but Morocco were very, very well organised. They were structured and, more importantly, they were disciplined. They kept it up for the 90 minutes. And at the end of the day, they deserved their victory. Roman Seiss and Zakaria Abouklal with the goals in the 73rd minute and 92nd. Uh, that's Morocco's first World Cup finals win since beating Scotland all the way back in 1998. Only their third ever win of the finals, much like Australia. 
Uh, and all that after goalkeeper Yassin Bonu pulled out after the anthems were sung, saying he was not right to play. Interesting. Great day for Morocco. Uh, great day for Croatia as well, Cozzy. They uh, slashed, oh, smashed, I should say, not slashed. Uh, the Canadians by four goals to one in Group F at the Khalifa International Stadium. The seven o'clock kickoff. The Canadians played well again. They, they've... Uh, really been enjoyable to watch, haven't they, at this World Cup? But they do bow out after two defeats. Um, but Croatia, perhaps motivated by those comments, which he did apologise for, the Canadian coach, John Herdman, in which uh, he said after the defeat to Belgium, they were going to, and I quote, F the Croatians. You know what the F stands yeah, for. Yeah, it, um, mate, the damage was done. Apologies, irrelevant. Too late. It's as simple as that. <laughs> you know, once it's said, it's said. You can't take it back, um, no matter how much you might beg to do so. Um, look, Croatia slightly outpossessed. They had more shots, though. Um, what it came down to was Canada started like a, a house on fire. They were mm. 100 miles an hour. And the goal that they scored was a cracker. Really, really well-worked and, and dynamic goal. And the way they went about their business, they were dynamic. There was held a skill to footballers I've talked about previously on this podcast. They were at Croatia the whole time. But at the end of the day, Croatians have got so much quality in their squad. And they just sat back and they worked out what they needed to do. It's almost like Australia the other night against France. Canada scored too early in the game. It was in the first minute. Yeah. So pretty much, you know, it's, you've still got 89, 90 minutes pretty much with extra time to um, to work your way back into the game. And that they did, and they did it with quality goals as well. Alfonso Davies with that early strike for Canada, but uh, Andre Kamaric scoring twice for the Croatians. And Kamaric said afterwards that he thanked the Canadian coach for providing that motivation, quoting, we know who effed who. <laughs> and they did. Uh, the final game of the night was the real heavyweight clash at the Albite Stadium in Group E, the 10 o'clock kickoff. Uh, and it ended all square between Germany and Spain. And Niklas Fulkrug saving Germany's bacon after Alvaro Marata had put Spain ahead. Uh, another goal off the bench for Marata. Uh, Germany had a goal ruled out in the first half for offside against Antonio Rudiger. But that equaliser, absolutely priceless for the Germans. It keeps them alive in the tournament. It does. Um, defeat tonight would have meant they're on the plane tomorrow, mm. pretty much. They even played the last game. But, um, look, they were out-possessed completely, which you would imagine against with any quality side against a team like Spain because that is their, their forte. But the Germans actually had more shots. They were great on the counter. Um, I think they made some good opportunities, and they probably, in that last 15 minutes created enough good opportunities to go on and win that game. But the finishing, um, I think, at times left a little bit to be desired. I've got to say this, the, Spain's goal was great. It was well worked. It was a good finish by Alvaro Morata. But Manuel Noah was down on his knee before Morata even made contact with that ball. And it's just, I get frustrated with keepers because you don't see keepers standing up anymore and spreading themselves and trying to make saves. Mm. They anticipate the block. I think they're worried about balls being flicked through their legs. Um, he was on one knee. How can you react and make a save like that? Had he stayed up, it probably would have hit him in the arm. He wouldn't have even had to move. Uh, this is such a tight group, isn't it, Group E? Now, the final uh, round of games, Germany play Costa Rica. Uh, you'd imagine they would, <laughs> win. That they would win, but you know we don't know in this World Cup. Spain take on Japan, and uh, the Germans might need a favour from Spain to go through. Well, they would. They would need Spain to batter Japan. And, um, or to get a good score, I probably shouldn't use that language. But, um, yeah, and Germany have to win. And you would imagine they would win against a team like Costa Rica. 
all of which might end in tears for Japan, um, but a cracking game at the Albaid Stadium. Gary Neville calling it the best game of the tournament so far. Uh, before the break, let's head to Tom Haylock for the latest odds from Betfair. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800-858-858. Thanks, guys. The FIFA World Cup continues at betfair.com.au. First of all, let's take a look at the winner's market overall. Brazil uh, continue to firm $3.75. You can lay them at $3.80. France, $7. Spain, $8.20. You can lay at $8.40 there. Argentina, 10. England, 11. Then you've got Germany, Portugal and Netherlands who uh, are $17.50. And write your own ticket the rest. Croatia are next at 60s. Stats Insider, who we've teamed up at betfair.com.au forward slash hub. They were on the Netherlands at the $15. They have drifted a little bit at $17.50, but we're still keen to push push their chances in the overall winner's market. Let's get tonight four big games. Cameroon versus Serbia. Cameroon go into the match at $5.50. The draw, $3.75. And Serbia, $1.80. Now, Stats Insider are pretty keen on Cameroon here at $5.50. But I think the play there might be to lay Serbia at $1.81. They've got a 54.4% chance of winning for Serbia. So they're touch-unders. You can lay the $1.81 there in that market coming up tonight. South Korea, Ghana, the next match. Uh, South Korea, $2.72. Ghana, $3.05. And the draw, $3.20. Ghana might be the play there, according to Stats Insider. Slight edge in favour of Ghana. Brazil, Switzerland. Brazil, $1.50. The draw, $4.60. Switzerland, $8.40 in that match. Switzerland, again, outsiders. Stats Insider think there are a bit of value there at the $8.40. And then the last game, Portugal versus Uruguay. Portugal, $2.06. Versus Uruguay, $4.40. The draw is $3.40 there. Head to betfair.com.au for all things uh, betting on the FIFA World Cup. The hub as well, betfair.com.au forward slash hub. That update, thanks to Betfair. Don't settle for the odds given. Find better odds on the World Cup at Betfair. Gamble responsibly. Call 1800-858-858. Welcome back to the global game at the World Cup. Thanks to Kraken.com, trusted by 9 million crypto customers worldwide. Kraken.com, broadcast sponsor of SEN's coverage of the FIFA World Cup, Qatar 2022. So, four games to preview on day nine of the tournaments. They being Serbia against Cameroon, Group G. That's at uh, the Al Janoub. Ghana against South Korea, uh, Group H. That's at Education City. Uh, Switzerland against Brazil in Group G, Stadium 974. And then Uruguay against Portugal. That's the 10 o'clock kickoff in Group H down the road from us at Lusail. Cosy, uh, the uh, first game, Serbia against Cameroon. This is the early kickoff. Uh, the Serbians were resilient for an hour against Brazil. I guess the big question for them is, do they try and play a little bit more expansively? Do they unleash a front two of Aleksandar Mitrovic and Dusan Vlaovic, the, the two big guns for them up top? Or do they perhaps stick with, with what they did so well for an hour against the Brazilians? Look, they may have been um, resilient, I suppose, for an hour, but in all honesty, Brazil pretty much dominated that game from my perspective. Um, Serbians managed just five shots, none on target. Um, so maybe they need to get that front pairing working mm. um, because for them, it's, it's win or bust. They don't get a result here. They're gone. They're on the plane home. Um, Cameroon, on the other hand, we'll, we can talk about them as well. They... Um, they were beaten in a game, they were probably not unlucky, although I think they were unlucky to lose mm. against Switzerland the other day. So, um, you know, 
they've got a they've got a decent side. Um, you know, maybe Samuel Eto'o, their president, was a bit ambitious, saying we're coming here to win the World Cup. <laughs> he put a lot of pressure on the team by saying that yeah. straight away. Um, you know, given his pedigree as well, it wasn't like he's a, a politician, head of state. He is a actually a, a player, a very high achieving player, and one of the last players to score in a World Cup in a winning game for Cameroon in 2002, I believe. Yeah, that was against uh, Saudi Arabia, and since then. They've lost eight consecutive matches at the finals, scoring just uh, three goals in the process. And with Brazil to come in their last game, you fancy Cameroon have got to take uh, something from this game, preferably a win, because you just can't see them uh, defeating Brazil at the moment. Um, Ghana, their game against South Korea. This is another crucial one. They're all becoming crucial now, aren't they, as we get towards uh, the end of the group stage. The Ghanaians fought pretty hard against Portugal. They made it a nervy finale. Um, but it's going to be tough for them against the Koreans. I, I fancy the Koreans to win this one. I thought they were pretty good against Uruguay, even though uh, they didn't get a single shot on target, strangely enough, and ended up with just a point. Well, look, Uruguay are a very hard team to play against. It's almost an ugly game when Uruguay are involved in it because it's just the way they go about their football. It's a war, isn't it? It is, yeah. and they, they make it. It's a war of attrition. Look, it, it wasn't a great game. You've got to remember as well that Uruguay hit the woodwork twice in that match um, and could have come out of that game with all three points. Um, so, you know, no shots on target for the Korean Republic as well. I think they probably went there uh, maybe with that not-to-lose mentality in mind. Ghana, on the other hand, this, they've got to win. They're gone as mm. well if they don't get the result. I think they were unlucky against Portugal. They had a great opportunity right at the death when the Portuguese keeper made a hash of a ball at his feet and uh, then the Ghanaian forward made a hash of the finish. But Slipped over, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, but, um, <coughs> and also you take into account the um, the penalty that wasn't a penalty that actually was a penalty um, from Cristiano Ronaldo and he's copped a bit of flack from a lot of commentators about diving. And, you know, one commentator, Chris Sutton, I think it was, said it's what sort of example is he setting for young kids? They're going to be diving all over the world. It's got a fair point, to be honest, without picking on him. But that was probably harsh on Ghana's part. But that um, that set things up for the loss, didn't it? Sure did. And intriguingly, FIFA uh, called Cristiano Ronaldo a genius for winning that penalty. So there you go. It all depends on your perspective, I guess. Uh, you'd imagine Son Heung-min is probably going to be the key for <coughs> excuse me, South Korea again. Uh, but as you say, Ghana have got to get something out of this game. They've won just three of their 15 internationals in the calendar year of 2022. Uh, now, the team that uh, Cameroon lost to in uh, match day one was uh, Switzerland, of course. Uh, they're now regular competitors in the knockout phase of the major tournaments, but this is the acid test for them in Group G at Stadium 974. Up against the tournament favourites, the Brazilians. We've seen Switzerland spring surprises at major tournaments before, Cosy, but do they have the defensive structures in place uh, to keep out the likes of Vinicius Jr., Richarlison, Gabriel Jesus, etc.? Does anybody? <laughs> Probably it, not. Yeah, it's like when Brazil are that sort of team that, they look like they're struggling at times and all of a sudden they just hit the afterburners and, and bang, the Samba comes into play. And I mean, the game against Serbia the other night, they, you know, I thought at times they just weren't, and there wasn't any fluency and all of a sudden the, the switch was flicked and it was just beautiful to watch. Mm. Um, Switzerland, are, I guess they're probably what you call quiet achievers. They just go about their business. They've got Shakiri, they've got Jaka, they've got players, you know, with flair and creativity and a bit of solidarity as well. They haven't made the round of 16 for the last few World Cups because they're not a good side. 
Mm. I think they've got something to offer, but I think Brazil are just going to be too good. They've just got too much depth, even uh, without Neymar playing as well. Well, I was going to ask you about that. The one thing they don't have uh, is Neymar, at least for the rest of the group stage. He's picked up that ankle injury. Uh, is that a big loss for them? He wasn't really at his best on match day one. There's no Bobby Firmino, of course, who would be perhaps one of the natural replacements for him. Yeah, but he, I think Anthony came on in his place when he yeah. came off the Manchester United striker. So, if, I mean, I did a list of uh, available strikers. If you leave Neymar out, they've got Gabriel Jesus, they've got Vin Vinicius Jr., Ricarlison, Rafinha, Rodrigo, Gabriel Martin. <laughs> it's not bad, is Martinelli, it? Martinelli, yeah, and then Pedro <laughs> as well. So, um, and you're right, Simon, when Neymar did come off, and I think I mentioned it in uh, our little review of the game, I think um, Brazil actually stepped up a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, you know, he becomes somewhat of a talisman and you end up relying too much on him. And if he's not on his game, which he wasn't the other night, um, it was made difficult for him by the Serbian um, opposition. Then it, uh, sometimes you, you probably have to find another way to skin a cat. He's coming off, I think... I don't When he's not being available, I don't think it's going to affect how Brazil perform in these next two matches. Talisman or millstone takes your choice. Uh, let's finish off by talking about the heavyweight clash between Uruguay and Portugal. Uh, this World Cup, of course, the, the last hurrah probably for the likes of Luis Suarez and Edinson Cavani and Diego Godin. Uh, they went close against South Korea. I mentioned the South Koreans didn't have a single shot on target. Well, the Uruguayans had one. So that's how tight that game was. Uh, Godin also hit the post. Uh, but you look at the attacking flair that Uruguay have... They've got to get more service, surely, to the likes of Luis Suarez, Darwin, Nunez, because they can score goals in, in any company. No, they can. Um, and I think the way that, I mean, for me, Suarez was hardly involved in the game the other night. He just couldn't get things his own way. But the other side of that, look, he's, he's playing back in his home country now. He's not playing in the top leagues in Europe anymore. And it looked to me like um, he probably wasn't quite as sharp as he has been in previous World Cups earlier than... Um, in, in previous European competitions, club football. So I think that's had a little bit of an impact on, on how they perform. He was getting beaten to the ball a lot of the time and he wasn't able to keep it when he did get it in defeat. Um, you're going to have to rely on the players around him. Uh, Portugal, of course, uh, rely to a large extent on Cristiano Ronaldo. He's now a record breaker after scoring at a fifth World Cup. Uh, will Uruguay target him, do you think? And will that actually play into Portuguese hands? Uh, look, I think they'll definitely target him. Um, it's the way the Uruguayans play. They play a fairly aggressive brand of football and there's there's no nonsense about them. And I don't think that um, they're worried too much about being uh, seen as a polite football team. They just want to grind out a result and they'll do what they need to do to get it. And that means um, sitting Ronaldo on his backside a few times, it's going to happen. So... Um, it might play into the Portuguese hands because they've got a bit of quality. But, I mean, I, the Portuguese struggled, I think, against Ghana the other night. So they're not going to they're going to find a team like a resolute, gritty, nasty team like Uruguay even more difficult to play against. Well, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, his time at Manchester United is over. He's currently being courted, according to press reports, by a club in Saudi Arabia, Al Nasser. So you'd imagine they'd offer him a fair bit of coin, probably a bit more than the A-League's offering. But <laughs> Maybe they'll offer him a Rolls-Royce and, and a few public holidays if he scores. You never know. OK, thanks, uh, Cozzy. That's it from Cozzy and I in Qatar today. The rest of the day's news from Doha coming up after the break. 
score was yet to be broken. But Japan on the attack first, and Caleb Abbas forced to make a save early on. First thrust forward has been Japan forcing a save out of the goalkeeper, Caleb Navas. Cuts it back inside, Kramanich! And a good save from Milan Boyan. Yes, hello everybody and welcome back to the global game on SEN, the World Cup in today nine. We're getting very, very close to crunch time. The final group games coming up from tomorrow night. One more lot of Group G and Group H games to get us through match day two. And hasn't there been plenty of fallout? Thank you very much to Simon Hill and John Cosmina over in Doha again for their coverage today. And you just heard... The great saves of the day, thanks to Schnitz, the best hands in the schnitzel business, Schnitz handcrafted schnitzels. That gets us underway for the daily update today. Alex Molchanoff with you as always. And the first result we're going to look back on today is the Canadians, who showed plenty of promise and plenty of application. They're a young side, geared towards their own co-hosting of the World Cup in four years' time. John Herdman got himself in some trouble with comments he made about the Croatian team, Andre Kramaric scoring two goals during the game and then thanking Herdman afterwards, saying, I'd like to thank the Canada manager for the motivation. In the end, Croatia showed who effed who. Who would have thought before the World Cup we'd be talking about the rivalry between Canada and Croatia that had developed over the course of the tournament. Dalic said he didn't speak to Herman after the match, saying he was not there, and that's his way of doing things. He's obviously mad. He's a good coach. He's a high-quality professional, but it will take some time for him to learn some things. Herman, of course, the first manager to coach at both a men's and a women's FIFA World Cup. Here's what he had to say after the match, with Canada going out, going out of the tournament after two straight defeats. Yeah, I think... Uh... It was a great start and a proud moment, I think, for the fans in the stadium, for people back home. You know, we got to celebrate something that was uh, we've been waiting a long time for. I think the second goal turned the tide, you know, that close to half-time. You've got to make tactical adjustments coming into the second half, which leaves you open. And when you open yourself up to a team like Croatia, they're going to be clinical in transition. And I thought they uh, they gave a masterclass in those transitional moments. But proud, proud of the lads. I thought they, they had good moments in the second half. I thought they had at times good control and we just couldn't find, couldn't find that equaliser. And the more you pushed, the more you had to risk and the more open you were to, to their quality. I'm proud, proud of uh, what they what they achieved tonight was to make some history for our country. Disappointed, and they'll be disappointed tomorrow. They'll be they'll be hurting as as you do as, as sports people. But then to look forward, we've we've got a big game coming up against Morocco, huge game for Canada in in a sense of there's a lot for us to play for. We came here to make history, the first game. They said they wanted to show fearless and, and entertain. They did that. The second game, they said they wanted to score goals. And if those goals were enough to win a match, then, you know, that, that would have been us with three points, but it wasn't. So this last game is about getting a result and, and winning for Canada and really making this country believe that we're, we're in the right direction for 2026. Englishman John Herdman in charge of the Canadians. They've got one more game to take them out of the tournament. That will be against Morocco on Friday morning.
Now another team that suffered a defeat, the Belgians overnight. They were beaten 2-0 by Morocco, who acquitted themselves well. And Roberto Martinez has continued to come under some fire. Of course, Kevin De Bruyne making a stir pregame. An article published in The Guardian with Simon Hattonstone was highlighted by the fact that De Bruyne had said, and this interview was done before the tournament, but he said, when asked if Belgium could win the World Cup, he said, no chance, we're too old. That grabbing the headlines, of course, in Belgium, as in England, where De Bruyne plays his football with Manchester City. Martinez was dismissive of that in his post-game press conference, but said there were plenty of areas that Belgium needed to improve on ahead of their final day clash with Croatia, which was always slated to be one of the biggest games of the group stage. Now it looks as though it will decide who goes through the group. Here's what Roberto Martinez had to say to the waiting media after the game. It's more uh, a mindset. I don't think it's a lack of quality. I don't think it's a technical aspect. I thought we played a lot better on the ball today than we did against Canada, and we got in, in really, really beneficial positions. Then that next pass was missing that uh, link-up was missing uh, in the final third. We couldn't find that spare man. And I, I do think that is because we played with a fear of, of losing. It's, 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 it's difficult to see because in the last six years we are a team that we always find opportunities to score. We scored goals in uh, almost, I think it's 50 games consecutively, apart from the Holland game and, and now that we never... Uh, we never find the back of the net and it comes through the responsibility that the players they work so hard for each other off the ball and then on the ball I don't see that enjoyment and that's what we need to work we need to work on we're preparing the next game and we need to be ourselves and probably now we, we're in a situation that we got nothing to lose anymore it's something to win if we win against Croatia we can qualify and be in the World Cup and that will be a real start of us in, in the, because as you know the talent is there and the quality in front of, of goal always, always been there as one probably the strengths of our team. So will that comment come back to haunt Kevin De Bruyne? Will Roberto Martinez be able to get his side in a state where they're willing and ready to play their best football against the Croats who have found some form after a slow start to this tournament? Now a quick look across to the Socceroos. Harry Sutar was the star of the show against Tunisia on Saturday night. His tackle has gone down in Socceroos folklore. It's one that will be remembered forever. He spoke to the Football Australia media team yesterday, talking about the game, the tackle, and how the side are preparing going into the clash with Denmark. First and foremost, I think the three points is the most important thing. Um, to obviously, to win, knowing that we've still got something to play for going into the last game was, was what everyone was focusing on. Um, and yeah, just that that feeling. Obviously, when the when the final whistle went, knowing that you've you've done it. Um, obviously, we've all seen the videos from from back home in Australia, the celebrations. It's unbelievable. It's something I've never seen before. So, all the lads are just absolutely buzzing. Um, but obviously, there's more, still one more game to play, and all our focus is on is on Denmark now. Yeah, obviously yourself personally not being back too long. Did you feel like you had a performance like that in you? Were you confident? Yeah, I think you've always got to be got to be self confident in yourself. I think obviously the last ten minutes my legs were starting to to give way a little bit. Um, so obviously we'll just try to try to get through it. But I thought obviously to a man everyone was unbelievable. Um, Matty coming for crosses and taking pressure off us. You know, Kai beside me, two full-backs. Like, I could go through the whole team and the subs that came on, everyone was just amazing. Um, and just so pleased for, for all the team, for all the staff, you know, the hard work that they all put in um, behind the scenes that it goes unnoticed a lot of the time. Um, yeah, just, just a really pleasing day. 
and just take us back a year or so from you know that game against Saudi to to being here now that must is there a moment I guess that that hit you that journey you've had yeah, probably today um obviously as soon as I done my knee I knew that I wanted to be fit for the World Cup um for moments like this so yeah you've got to take it in you've got to celebrate it but knowing in the back of your mind that the job's not done you know we've, we've we've got three points yeah it's amazing it's great but there's still one more game to go and if we don't get anything out of that then we're going home so we know that full concentration has to be in the next game Big Harry Suter, what a fantastic get he was from Graham Arnold. That experience in the Olympic Games last year seems to have done him a world of good. And maybe that ACL injury, it's tough to say that to an athlete, that the ACL injury was a blessing in disguise, but it has meant that Harry's fit, he's raring and ready to go for this tournament, and he's been one of the Socceroos' standouts across the opening two fixtures. Another one of those, Milos Degenek came off the bench late to slot in at right back for Graham Arnold. It'll be interesting to see if he goes back to Degenek in that position. He's generally played as a centre-half with his club side Columbus crew. Can play on the right. Has been deployed there under the last two Socceroos coaches. But he posted on social media an emotional message yesterday after going through. Collapsed in tears on the bench after the game and then posted this on Twitter afterwards. Not a political post or a post about any war. Just a post to show that life is the most beautiful thing. From absolutely nothing, and he's referring here to fleeing Yugoslavia as a child and coming to Australia with his family, to winning a World Cup game, representing the country that gave me everything. Thank you, Socceroos. Never stop believing in yourself. And that's the sort of thing that the Australian public have really been able to rally around during this World Cup. To wrap up the daily update and looking ahead a couple of days, Iran and the USA. This is one, unlike the Canadians, and the Croatians that we could probably see coming. The Guardian article on this comes from Sean Ingle, who is over in Doha. He says it's long threatened to be one of the World Cup's biggest flashpoints, the great Satan against the axis of evil. But on Sunday, the USA's match with Iran became even more highly charged after Iran's football federation demanded their opponents receive a 10-game ban for offending the dignity of their country. This extraordinary request came after the U.S. Soccer Federation displayed Iran's national flag on social media in a now-deleted graphic without the emblem of the Islamic Republic in support of the protesters in Iran before the nation's Group B match on Tuesday. But this has been a discussion point within the Irani camp across the, the space of the tournament. Carlos Queiroz was told not to pick Mediterranean. He stuck to his guns. And didn't that pay off in the end against Wales? Just been another little political issue bubbling under the surface at this FIFA World Cup. Now, coming up after us tonight on the Global Game from 8.30, it's the SEM Football Hub, Paul Sebastiani, along again to preview the four games of the night's action. From 9pm, it's Cameroon against Serbia. The Cameroonis needing to win that game to stay in the tournament. Korea taking on Ghana in a game that both will have identified as a must-win at midnight. 3am, the Brazilians back in action after their impressive first-up win over the Serbians. This time they take on the Swiss. And then a big fixture at 6am, Portugal versus Uruguay. Ronaldo versus Suarez. It's got all the billing to be one of the biggest matches of the group stage in 2022. As for us, we're a little bit later tomorrow with the later kickoffs beginning. We're on from 11 p.m. across the SEN network, or you can catch us earlier, as always, on the podcast. You just look up Global Game SEN, and Simon and Cozzy will pop up in your feed. I'll be along tomorrow as well. Hope to catch you then. Enjoy tonight's games, and we'll catch you then.